This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back to Long-Term Care Now and the Independent Commission into the Crisis. It's been hearing sobering testimony from residents and executives with direct experience. One heartbreaking comment, this is from a resident. Now when I see these dog cages on TV for stray animals, I see myself as one of these neglected, filthy, and starving for love and affection little critters. And yesterday, Donna Duncan, CEO of the Ontario Long-Term Care Association, who's been on our show many times, explained that despite the warnings delivered in late January, an action plan by the Tories did not come until April, when at least 144 residents had already died in 100 outbreaks of COVID-19. She said the government was asked in late January to free up inspectors to point out shortcomings, and that did not happen. And uh, are we headed to a dreadful repeat? There are now outbreaks in 53 homes with 154 confirmed cases. So I'd like to hear from you. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. 40. And now let's go to Jane Mita, staff lawyer and institutional advocate at the Advocacy Center for the Elderly, and Doris Greenspoon, chief executive officer of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. Hello and welcome to you both. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Libby. So, uh, you know, I'm sure that that for you, there was no surprise in Donna Duncan's testimony delivered, by the way, in 1200 pages. Yeah, I, I, Jane, and I'd like to just to comment that this is actually not testimony. They're submissions. And oh, there's sorry. A big, it's OK, because I think that the your listeners need to understand that there's a big difference, um, you know, Testimony is what happened at the Galice inquiry where people would put on a stand under oath, had to answer questions. These are submissions. So this is what everyone wants, you know, from their perspective, what they want the commission to hear. So what we're hearing is very one-sided, and that can be, you know, that's from our office, that's from the RNAO, but it's also from people like the ministry. And reviewing some of their, you know, documents, you know, you're really not getting a picture because they're not getting that probing and verifying and questioning that you would get in testimony. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, I, I see want what to you mean. that with saying that I have spoken twice with the commissioner. Uh, yes, he has asked many questions. You can see the transcripts verbatim because they asked me if I wanted to exclude anything, and I didn't. Uh, they are posted in the commissioner's website as of 29 of September. Uh, this is after the second time we spoke. Um, everybody knew, Libby, government knew what was going on. I specifically give the example of Orchard Villa, and I named them because the government actually approached me about the problems in Orchard Villa way before the army came. I offered help, and the help was never really uptaked. Uh, so there is a lot here that 
I said to the commissioner, and you will see it on my transcripts, what I want him to find out is who, in which office, and when made the decision to abandon residents in long-term care homes. Yeah. And, and you're not going to get that through this kind of submissions. Okay, but so here's my question. Uh, are you convinced, Jane, that it was somebody's active decision or uh, was it, you know, uh, things slipping through, people not being aware, focused on other things? Uh, Jane? I think it's a combination, obviously, of both. I think that there is absolutely, um, you know, people who, you know, could be held accountable here. Um, for not providing care, for example, Orchard Villa, you know, why, you know, why weren't things, uh, corrected earlier? Why wasn't there help provided? Um, we know, you know, anecdotally about, you know, refusals. We know about hospitals not uh, wanting patients there. Um, lots of things. Uh, the, why wasn't the government in there fixing up that home, which was known to be a problem prior, uh, to, uh, COVID even existing. We knew that that home had issues. Why weren't things being done beforehand? And absolutely, people didn't do their jobs. And, and to add to that, uh, Livy, uh, in Australia, if we know, as Jane says, that a home has a problem and they know second time, third time, they close them. Here they can continue to be open forever and ever and ever. Orchard Villa, ought to have been closed the moment that the army entered that home, and we still don't know, because it has not been fully disclosed, what they actually found there, if they found even people that had passed away, and I wouldn't be surprised, I would be even more devastated, but not entirely surprised, given what I know that happened there. Second, government was a decision, because I approached them directly, Dr. Williams, and all the way to the Minister Fullerton and the Premier, we begged, and Livy, I was in your show at the time, we begged for PPE to go first to nursing homes. It never happened. Take now the flu shots, Livy. Flu shots are already being given in hospitals, but not yet in nursing homes. How do you explain that when we know that residents in nursing homes are the most vulnerable of all? They're being given in pharmacies. I stopped by uh, my yes, local but pharmacy. In nursing homes, they're still not being given, yeah. maybe next week. Yep. Yeah, and, and there's still a problem with PPE in, in long-term care. I'm stopping. Um, especially, um, you know, N95, N95, um, where homes are asking, begging the ministry, the government to release them because they're the only place they can get them. And yet again, it's a focus on the hospitals and long-term care homes. Yes. Despite yes. the and Rob Ferguson, in his, story, in his story, with all due respect, he speaks about the advocates that are asking for hours of care. I wish he would have the courtesy of mentioning basic care guarantee that has been asked already for eight years, and government knows, Minister Fullerton knows, and yet they are delivering nothing. Well, they are delivering basically six months of top-up for PSWs with the bonus, which is now infuriating, quite frankly, the, the um, registered practical nurses because they're at the same pay. So we need to deal with the whole situation of staffing. You cannot deal with one category that is needed and not deal with the others because you create tensions that only add to the tension instead of helping. Okay, I get that. But, uh, you know, 
Minister Fulgen is quoted as saying, and uh, in this case, I do believe her. Please correct me if I'm wrong, that that she she can't top up the staffing, that there aren't people to hire at this very moment. There are people. The premier called me yesterday. I spoke with the premier for over 30 minutes. He said, we need nurses. I said, premier, I have said it over and over and over. There are thousands of nurses, PSWs. RNs, RPNs, and nurse practitioners available. Enough of the excuse that are not. I heard Minister Fulitor saying, you don't snap a finger. First of all, very disrespectful to say that. But second, she knows. She knows that there is staffing. What's needed is the funding and not to wait till February, Levy, for the budget announcement and then elections promises. Hmm. Uh, so, uh why are they? Why are they saying that the, there are no staffing available? That's why I am saying it's a decision. That's why I am saying read the transcript. There is an economist that is also was interviewed. I don't recall the name, but he also speaks about financial decisions being made at the expense of residents in nursing homes, quite frankly, and their families, and the staff that is there living. The staff that is there, there, but there. In many instances, their vacations were canceled, so they're exhausted. They're trying to do their best with no resources at hand. Hmm. Doris, I just want to ask something. So you're saying there are PSWs available. The government says no, uh, there aren't enough available. Is the issue that they don't want to work for what the government is now offering or, or what? Well, uh, the situation is this. There are different uh, ways of attaining PSWs. One is people that go to become a PSW directly. The other is the thousands of nursing students, RNs and RPNs. RPNs after the first year, RNs after the uh, second year, they can work as PSWs. We deploy, just so you know, we deploy thousands of PSWs in the form of nursing students RNs, RPNs, and nurse practitioners during the first wave to about 220 nursing homes. Interestingly enough, vis-a-vis the comments of um, OLTC and my colleague Donna Duncan, most of the homes that approached us were not for profit, and, well, you can see that they did a lot better. So I'm not so sure how OLTC and the for-profit homes really dealt with the issue of shortages uh, because most of them, except of a few that came directly with us, didn't come to us. Lisa Levin from Advantage Ontario came and asked us specifically, could we push that? And we did. Uh, So we are there. We are there leaving to help government and the premier knows. Uh, The premier, not the premier, the bureaucracy the other day when Lisa Levin asked if we were going to reenact be a nurse the government said there is no need. Our system now is fully functioning because you may remember at the beginning in the first wave, the government system was not functioning. So they say they, are a fully function- they have a fully functioning system, which I believe and I am delighted if that's the case. So there ought to be no shortage if that's the case. It's only an issue of funding. The problem is when you give funding, again, to one category and not another, you upset one or the other. And also when you give only for six months and a bonus, after six months they will be gone. 
So we cannot continue with band-aid solutions. Okay, let me and- let me just I I just want to um get to Jane, but let me just uh, one clarification. So, are the nursing students do they earn the same as PSWs? Do they earn more? Uh, they earn whatever the home pays them. So in in many situations the same, in many situations less. Okay. Uh, Jane, do you agree that part of the problem is uh, for-profit, not for-profit? Well, certainly I think there is an issue there. Um, just a, an issue around that nursing students. My understanding, and perhaps Doris knows more, but my understanding was that the nursing schools were saying that students could not provide services at the moment during the year. Um, so no, that was clinical back. placement. They're not sending them, but they can be hired and they are being hired. Mm. So um, with respect to the for-profit and not-for-profit, um, I think that, you know, a lot of it does have to do with the structures of the home. Um, but I think that um, Doris pointed out that what happens in, I think, in the not-for-profit is because they're interested in their for-profit, their profits, they're not putting the money back into the home. So they tend to do have the older homes, the homes that are not uh, very well kept up. So it has to do with the structure, but the structure has to do with whether or not these for-profit facilities are willing and interested to, you know, have enough staff, pay enough people, et cetera. And I think um, that, you know, his, we, what we've seen is that they have, many of them have not been interested in doing that. Um, and the, there's no impetus on them to do that. They can keep their beds filled with, you know, big waiting lists. There's no impetus to do that. And Doris was right when she was talking at the, earlier that the government doesn't really implement any kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, issue, you know, they, they don't close the homes, they don't make them, you know, they issue orders, but there really isn't any, um, outcome if they don't comply with those orders in, in most cases. You know, only two homes have been closed in like the last 20 years. So, you so know, clearly me, we have a big problem. Yeah. So, um, but if they close the homes, where do they put the people? Well, that's exactly the problem. And so they're, they don't close the homes, they don't, uh, require them to fix them up. Um, and so we just continue open. on as we are. Maybe. Keeping yeah. them open, is, it sends the wrong message. No kidding, And as yeah. Jane knows, the legally, legally, for-profit homes, their first legal obligation is to shareholders, legally. So you need to create, no one is going to close all the for-profits, but whichever home, for-profit or not-for-profit, that is not functioning and has demonstrated consistently, ought to be closed and then a message is sent. Second, that's why we are demanding the long-term care nursing home basic care guarantee so that every resident in every home every day will receive the care that is mandated, whether it's in a for-profit or not-for-profit. And that's how you secure a standard of care, which now, thankfully, the prime minister is speaking about national standards. So we are delighted about that. Yeah, well, who knows when that will happen. Let's hear from Lucy in Scarborough. Hello, Lucy. Hi. I'm an RPN. I've worked in the major hospitals in Toronto since 1986. And one of my last jobs was at a retirement home, for-profit retirement home. And basically, it was run by the manager who had no medical experience, no medical knowledge, whatever he said goes. And if we had um, isolated people, he would put everything in the room, which was clean and dirty inside the isolated room, and we could not get him to change um, from doing that. So my point is, when 
you're talking about governments coming, inspectors coming in. When inspectors, when they're coming, we are told they're coming days before, weeks before, so we're able to correct or, or mask the problem. There are hundreds of staff looking for jobs, lots of nurses, lots of PSWs. So that thing, there's no staff, it's just an excuse. My other comment is, we like to talk and talk and talk until people get tired of hearing us, we move on to, to other things, and nothing's get, nothing gets done or changes. Um. Yeah, I'd like to point, you know, retirement homes are not um, long-term care homes. They're very different. They are private. They are not health facilities. They offer care for, for a cost. Um, but there certainly is a lot of difference between retirement homes and long-term care homes. And, you know, they have less regulation. It is really a buyer beware situation. Um, and they are not required to have any kind of, of health care oversight at all. Uh, they are overseen by the Retirement Home Regulatory Authority, um, uh, who do come in. Um, it is disturbing that if they are being notified ahead of time, and we've heard that in long-term care as well, that it's supposed they're being notified, and neither of the cases should they be notified. Um, and I, I think that, you know, this use of retirement homes as a quasi-long-term care home, which we are seeing more and more of, and the government really relying on that instead of pro- providing proper long-term care is a big problem. Um, and it, you know, is going to continue to be a big problem moving forward. Okay. So, Navy, you asked a question before about, so what do we do if we close some nursing homes? Uh, well, how about building better home care? Many people want to remain at home. Their families want to help them remain at home, and they cannot because we are putting all the eggs in the basket of long-term care. We need to build home care, not only long-term care. Uh, And for my colleague's comment that she just made, she's totally right. There are thousands of RNs, RPNs, and PSWs. And during the pandemic, the directives that were sent by government applied to both nursing homes and retirement homes equally. Hmm. Um, that's correct, and and that's exactly they are treating them the same in the directive, and yet you know they are absolutely different types of facilities, yeah. and it's quite problematic. Yeah, yeah, but at, at least uh, in retirement homes, they they don't have uh, as many people with three and four beds to a room, is my understanding. Well, that's because they're tenancies, yeah. Yeah. and you're paying huge amounts of money, exactly, and therefore profit. So you know we don't have too many. Um, low-income retirement homes, um, people get rooms, apartments, suites. Um, they're they're a very different animal, and and you know when you're paying that kind of money, you're not going to go into a three or four bedroom room uh, facility. But yet, as Jane said, they don't have the staffing that is required for the level of complexity of persons that they are taking. They are taking people with lots of complexity that should not be in retirement homes, should be at home, supported with home care, or in a long-term care facility in a nursing home. Yeah, all of this, I mean, all of this is very familiar. CARP has been saying this for years, and um, we are out of time. So uh, I'm going to give you each 20 seconds, and uh, what can the government do in the next, like yesterday, uh, so that we don't have another disaster on our hands, Jane. So let me tell you very short what I told the Premier that it should have been done yesterday, which is, first of all, stage two for Toronto, for Peel and for Ottawa, because if you don't start to stop 
the spread, it will spill over and certainly will spill over to all the vulnerable populations, shelters, nursing homes. We will have a disaster again in our hands, and we are headed towards that. Okay, Jane, 20 seconds. The government has to have a plan. They have to make sure that they are not treating long-term care homes as a second-class citizen um, um, under hospitals. Um, I think that is a huge thing. They also have to rethink how we're doing visitors and short absences. We cannot continue to detain people um, or restrict visitors because I think that that is killing people as much as the COVID. People are, you know, dying because of their isolation. Okay, yes, we've been talking about that. Thank you so much, Jane Metis and Doris Greenspoon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, and that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.